news of two high-profile faith leaders walking away from Christianity is making headlines. Joshua Harris, author of the popular book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, announced last month on Instagram that he was leaving the Christian faith. And Hillsong worship leader Marty Sampson says while he hasn't renounced his faith, he is struggling. John Cooper, leader of, uh, lead singer rather, of the Christian rock band Skillet, addressed the issue in a post on Facebook saying Christians need to value truth over feeling. John joins us now via Skype. Welcome, my friend. Everyone is talking about your Facebook post uh, addressing the issue of Christian leaders falling away. Uh, John, why did you feel the need to write this post? Uh, first of all, great to be here. Um, I felt the need to do this uh, not to attack anybody, not out of hatred, not out of anger. I just was sad. I was depressed. Um, these are people that have influenced my lives, my kids' lives, my friends' lives, my church. And it's so saddening and so disheartening. And I just want to make a call to the church to grab a hold again of the preeminence of the Word of God. And that there is absolute truth, that Jesus is the way. And there's so these social media platforms are so big. And these voices are so loud. I just want to say, hey, I'm really sad about this. I didn't think anybody would care about my post, to be honest. I didn't think anybody would even read it. But I'm sad about it. And I'm just pleading for the church to come back to the gospel, to come back to the truth of the word of God that never changes. Uh, John, in your post, you warned Christians to stop making worship leaders and other influencers including yourself, uh, the most influential people in Christendom. Uh, explain what you mean by this. Yeah, what I mean by this is that if you look the right way, if you sing the right way, if you sound the right way, then you can become uh, a, a, an extremely powerful person in today's Christian culture. Because unfortunately, the church, me included, my, my church included, my family included, unfortunately, the church is looking to be entertained. We are not looking to worship God as he ought to be worshipped. We're looking for people to feed us and entertain us. And so what we have is that we're elevating people that sing the right way. And we are letting things get away with lyrics and songs, perhaps. Uh, uh, skillet. I've written a lot of songs that I would not want to be sung at church because they are not theologically accurate enough to sing about God's character. So that's what I mean about that. I don't want to be the person that people listen to. I want the Word of God to do that. And there are people that are gifted and anointed from God to be sharing the Word. And that's who I want to see us elevate. Yeah, you, you mentioned the preeminence of the Word of God. Let's talk about that for a few seconds here. You are urging uh, believers to rediscover the preeminence and the value of the Word of God. Why is that so important? Well, it's important because we're not just seeing this in the church. We're seeing it all of culture. We are basically seeing the, the uh, grandchildren of 1960s postmodern thought. That the absolute truth is done. What's true for you might not be true for me. We're seeing it in everything, in the universities. We're seeing it in politics. Everybody is so confused about what truth is. And the church is supposed to be invading culture with the kingdom in my own ministry, in my own life, and I am the king of the skeptics. Before I admit something is a miracle, I want to be able to examine the evidence down to the blood corpuscles. Because there are too many things running loose on the landscape that claim to be miracles from God that aren't. And the scripture says, put everything to the test and hang on tightly to what is good. 
Now, the only way you find out what's good is to test it by Holy Scripture. All experience is to be tested by Scripture. If a man stood up here tonight and said, there's an angel on my right hand, and the angel is saying to me, come forward, all my people, to be healed. The pastor and myself and every minister in the place would stop you from coming up on this platform until we had examined what that man really believed. And if an angel materialized here and said, come forward, my people, I will heal you, we would not permit you to come up here until first we had talked to the angel. And we would say to him, do you confess Jesus Christ as the eternal God, Savior of the world? And the angel said, well, now, there's a point of contention here. Some of us think this, and some of us think that. Then you better believe we would be exorcising that angel very quickly. And if the angel said, Jesus Christ is Lord God Jehovah in human flesh, I'm here as a special envoy to you. Welcome, brother angel. But it's putting him to the test. Apostasy. Look at verse 2. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. You need to understand something. I don't want to exalt my place or exalt the place of a preacher. But I want to tell you something. As God uses men to advance his kingdom through the proclamation of the truth so the devil uses men to advance his cause against the kingdom of Christ now I want to I want you to notice something from the book of acts that whenever the kingdom is advancing it's because the word of god is being proclaimed do you want to advance the kingdom proclaim 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 the truth but you need to understand that there are two lines on this battlefield. And one line has men of truth. They are men of truth, not by their own virtue or merit, but the election, the sovereignty, the grace of God. They are men of truth and they must stand with the truth and stop playing games like little boys and devote themselves to know the truth and to proclaim it. And then on this side, there is another line. And they are proclaimers of lies frivolity, maybe even good things, but not the best things of God. Now, it says that they're liars because they do not speak the truth. Now, what does that mean? They do not speak according to what is written, and therefore they prove that they have no dawn. Young man, when you get up in the pulpit, no one needs to hear from your heart. They need to hear from God's word. If you go on the mission field, let me share with you something. Someone called me years ago and said, I want to come to the mission field. And I said, why? I just want to give my life away. I said, young man, no one here in Peru needs your life. They need the word of God proclaimed to them. Liars. They are liars because they do, not they do not speak according to what is written. They are hypocritical because they pretend to have a spirituality that is from God, but in actuality, at best, their spirituality is carnal or natural. 
and at worst it's demonic now again how do you know if one's spirituality is from God because it conforms to what is written it conforms to what is written then it's a seared in their own conscience as with the branding iron I believe this can mean to this can manifest itself in two different ways first of all they know they're lying they know they're lying but their conscience is so seared that they no longer believe in God or they no longer fear him now this idea of a conscience seared with a branding iron when I was on our on our on our farm when I was a little boy we used to dehorn cattle by taking these big cutters and just cutting off the horn and it was dangerous because it was dangerous for the cattle because blood would spurt and then there was chance of infection and everything else and it hurt but later on what we did is new technology when a calf was born we'd bring it in after a certain amount of months and we had this iron electric iron with a hole in it and you would lay it on the nub of that horn and you would go down and go down and it would hurt at first and then all of a sudden the animal would get still because what are you doing you're burning that horn off but you're also burning every one of those nerves so they no longer fear they no longer feel anything that's what it means now they know they're lying but there's another way I think they actually believe they're doing the right thing well, how did they get to this point? They looked at scripture and particularly they looked at the gospel and found little delight in it, little power in it, little usefulness of it for their ministries. And therefore God turned them over. And the best word I can use here is to frivolity, to vanity. And churches throughout America that are called evangelical. And that's why that term means absolutely nothing today. Churches all throughout America, evangelical churches, are filled with this kind of frivolity. Now, I want us to look at verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5 totally catch me off guard. In light of verses 1 and 2... I just do not expect three through five. And someone says, why? Well, if you look at verses one and two, I mean, he is using language that's not used anywhere else in the scriptures. He said, the spirit explicitly says, that's like, hey, listen, this is important. And then he goes on and he talks about deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons and he talks about men filled with hypocrisy who are liars and are literally seared in their own conscience and you begin to think surely verse 3 is going to talk about the revelation of the antichrist I mean something big is coming in verse 3 but what do we get men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods and then we look at that, especially as Americans, and go, well, we have no fear of apostasy. We all marry, and I've looked at most of you. You definitely don't abstain from food. You need to abstain a little bit more, actually, to be biblical. So I didn't want you to think that I was getting too nice. 
So how, what does this have to do? I mean, how do you put these two things together? They don't make sense. But if you sit there long enough and look at it, you see, wow, I am so in danger of apostasy. The church is so filled, or not the church, but the expression of Christianity in America is so filled with apostasy. What is this saying? I mean, what does it really, really mean? What he's saying is this. Anytime you put anything in front of the gospel of Jesus Christ, anytime you place something higher, you give more emphasis to something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are committing apostasy. At least to some degree, to some kind. Let me give you an example. There are churches that can set above the gospel a certain type of morality or legalism. They're all about rules. Then there, you know, I homeschool. And I love homeschoolers and homeschool movements, but sometimes I've gone in to do conferences and it, 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 honestly it looks more like a Pride and Prejudice movie than it does Christianity. It's all about the way you dress and it's all about the way you talk and it's all about doing calligraphy and it's all... What? No! I had a pastor who called me one time and he said, I want you to come preach in my church because I think we got a lot of lost people in the membership. And I said, well, maybe I ought to preach to you if you've got a lot of lost people in the membership. And I said, what do you mean? He said, man, my church has got a lot of homeschoolers. And I go, brother, I homeschool. You homeschool. So what are you saying? He goes, I got people in my church that if you ask them to stand up and give their testimony, they'll say five years ago, I found homeschooling. What's happening there? The gospel is being put down and something else is being given importance. What do you talk about most? Preacher, what do you preach about most? I've been accused sometimes of only having one sermon. All I ever do is go to Romans 3 and teach on propitiation. I said, yeah, and I've read hundreds, maybe thousands of Spurgeon sermons. And if he took some obscure text anywhere in the Bible, he made it back to propitiation. As a matter of fact, in my study of all the great preachers down through the centuries, their great emphasis was the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed. They couldn't get away from it because it captivated them. So if they talked about marriage, they talked about the cross. We can degrade and we can be we can take legalism and we can put it above the gospel. At the same time, and this is more prevalent, we can take antinomianism, our freedoms, and put them above the gospel. The reason I can't enter into some of the freedoms of my younger brothers is because of the gospel. As a matter of fact, look what Titus 2, 11 and 12 says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. I love it here, but 
it's very interesting. I said, I've already found that if I teach the book of Revelation, I can fill the church, even during midweek service. But I said, then I can begin teaching the epistle to the Romans, and I can practically empty the church. And I said, I find there are people that run all the way across this area to find out from some speaker who will tell them how many hairs are in the red horse's tail in Revelation. And he made this statement to me, and I shall never forget. He said in his broken accent, he said, Dr. McGee, you're going to find out in your ministry that there are a great many people more interested in Antichrist than they are interested in Christ. And there are a lot of folk with itching ears. They like to hear about these strange, weird, unusual things. They want to be entertained. They want to be told how nice they are. But they don't want to be given the word of God. I, very frankly, get some letters from folk that say, when I started listening, you are to preach the word. And preach the word means to do this. Now, let me move on. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And I'm not sure but what we've come there today, by and large. We are absolutely, may I say, we're startled, we're amazed, we're overwhelmed by the number of people today that are listening to the teaching of the Word. But when I begin to put that group down by the total population, it's a very small percentage, really. There are very few church members today that will endure sound doctrine. They don't want sound doctrine at all. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Let me enlarge upon that because I have what I think is a very important comment on this particular passage. Shall they heap to themselves teachers? And I want to read to you what Dr. Benson has said in his word studies. And I'm reading now, shall they heap to themselves teachers? That means shall invite teachers in mass in periods of unsettled faith, skepticism, and mere curious speculation in matters of religion. Teachers of all kinds swarm like the flies in Egypt. The demand creates a supply. The hearers invite and shape their own preachers. If the people desire a calf to worship, a ministerial calf maker is readily found. And that is true today. Someone has said that the modern pulpit is a sounding board that is merely saying back to the people what they want to hear. Now, having itching ears, and again, let me quote Dr. Vincent, Clement of Alexander describes certain teachers as scratching and tickling. In no human way, the ears of those who eagerly desire to be scratched. Some come to hear, not to learn, just as we go to the theater for pleasure, to delight our ears with the speaking, or the voice, or the plays. Now, this is certainly a picture today. Someone again has said, some people go to church to close their eyes, and others to eye the clothes. That's the thing that brings them out. Now, the day will come when churchgoers do not want sound doctrine. That means, actually, the word is healthy. And they want instead 
a substitute. They don't want the Word of God. May I quote from a man I consider a very great preacher today. He was a great pastor in Covington, Kentucky, and in Chicago at the great Moody Church, Dr. Warren Worsby. And I quote him now. He says, they want religious entertainment from Christian performers who will tickle their ears. We have a love for novelty in the churches today. Emotional movies, pageants, foot-tapping music, colored lights, etc. The man who simply opens the Bible is rejected, while the shallow religious entertainer becomes a celebrity. And verse 4 indicates that itching ears soon will become deaf ears as people turn away from the truth and believe man-made fables. Now that's a... Hi, Pastor Jay. It's me, Gloria. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of sermons on YouTube because, honestly, I don't have a TV. I'm not going to waste money on a TV. Um, my mom has a TV, but I'm not going to spend my money on that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's the main household TV. But um, I've been watching a lot of sermons in the last two years, and I don't know. I just I don't get the same feeling with certain pastors that I used to, you know? I'm not going to mention any pastors that I've seen on TV because I don't want to call them out. But I don't get the same feeling that I used to when I watch certain um, pastors. And some you can already tell that they're fake because they're looking for more in the money than blessing someone's soul and saving them, you know? And also what I don't like is when you ask a pastor questions that are continuously being avoided, like sexual abuse or being gay or, 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 or abuse, or the list can go on and on and on. But when you ask him questions about that and they turn the other cheek or they say, Oh, we don't talk about that here. Um, how real can you possibly be? Because you have to answer the questions, right? Clearly, if they didn't have the answer, they would say, I, didn't, I don't have the answer. But a lot of the time, they look at you with a funny look like, Oh my gosh, how can you ask that? You know what I'm saying? So, it's a bunch of confusion, for real. And last but not least, I'll probably, I'll probably put more messages um, towards um, this topic. But what I hate the most is pastors that are so concerned with the money that they forget about saving souls. That they forget to really pray for the congregation. That they forget to really involve their congregation in the sermons. Or even in a particular activity. What I mean by this is some churches just have sermons and that's it. No activities, no involvement, no community, nothing. And also, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it when pastors scream and yell. There's something about... It's like 
You don't have to raise your voice to the point where it's like, okay, let me click the channel or get out of here.